0: Welcome to worship this morning. My name's Edwin. I'm the student pastor here at the chapel at Fishhawk. Ryan is out of town this morning. He asked me to fill in for him. I appreciate that privilege. Um, so you guys get to, to suffer through me for the next little bit. Uh, don't worry, I'm used to the attention span of teenagers. Um, so at any random time, if you blurt out a question or say something or just laugh at random, I know that's probably a text message you just received. Or actually, if you're a teenager, it's probably either kick or Snapchat or something like that. Who knows? That's one disadvantage to being a, a, a youth pastor that comes from my generation into this generation. I've been doing student ministry now for over 25 years, and it's amazing how when I first started, keeping the attention wasn't, wasn't bad. As long as there wasn't television or video, you were fine, and now it's phones and Unbelievable! The children that we're raising now do, will never know what it's like not to be in an instant society. I mean, I remember having to do popcorn, those little Jiffy Pop tin things that you had to shake on the stove. And, anyway, let's kick, let's kick our time off together in God's word this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for a wonderful worship day. Jesus, I need you this morning. Please use your word. And Holy Spirit, move me, move me out of a comfort zone, out of a rut, out of a a normal path, God, that you would impact me in a way never before. Move us today out of the shadows as we look at your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So for a lot of you who may not know me, I've been at the chapel for quite a while, and I always like to tell stories about growing up in the area. This, this is home for me. Um, born and raised in Tampa, and, and my great-grandparents um, had property down on the Alify River just off Bell Shoals. So that's still home. I still have an aunt and uncle that live out there, have some cousins that live there. That's sort of the family homestead. Uh, if anyone had ever come looking to find any of us, that's where they would go, because they know that's where we're going to be. But I can remember growing up as a kid, I was scared to death of the dark. I don't know about you, and I don't know about your kids, but I had to have a nightlight till I was 24. No, not really. (laughs) Till till I was almost a teenager, there had to be a nightlight. And I will tell you, now with my job, I travel a lot. And in traveling, I have to leave a light on in the room. Usually it's the bathroom light, and I close the door almost all the way, but I have to have light. But it's for a different reason. Nowadays... I have to have the light so that when I get up and stumble somewhere in the middle of the night, I'm not tripping over everything so I can see what's going on. But as a child, that darkness, it was amazing the amount of bad things that were underneath my bed or in my closet. And it was amazing that for some reason that light would keep them away. There were also times I can remember, it's so funny what you remember as a kid, because I can remember my mom and dad sitting at the kitchen table, discussing, and I was—I probably would have been eight or nine years old at the time, discussing on whether to take me to see the movie Jaws. Okay? They were talking about it. My dad's, oh, I can't handle it, not a problem, we'll take him to see it. They'd already seen it. My mom said, I don't know. I want you to know, after seeing that movie, that shark, every night when I went to sleep, would get out of the water at Indian Rocks Beach, walk across the Howard Franklin Bridge, and climb into my room for at least a good five or six weeks. Every night. Scared to death of the dark. Absolutely just, just crazy stuff. Then as I grew up, I remember, we used to call out here being the country. I, I, I grew up, my, my elementary school days, we lived in um, Seminole Heights. And I can remember when we were coming to my great grandmother's house, um, we'd be going to the country. We'd get up on Saturday morning, we were going to the country. I still don't exactly remember how we got here because we never took interstate, and I-75 that way was never even thought of. But we'd always come to the country. Well, then as I got a little bit older, I loved staying with my grandparents. My, my grandmother and grandfather moved out to help take care of my, my great-grandmother. And I remember coming out and staying with my grandparents, and the property that we have that backed up to the Alify River between us and the river were the woods. Now, granted, it was probably three to 500 yards, yards—not not that far, but it was through the woods. And as a child, child, let me say this, 10 or 11 years old, maybe even a teenager, I would only go so far approaching those woods at night because who knew what was in the woods. It was crazy. And now my nephews that live sort of in, the, in, in that same spot, to, to, to see them experience that same fear, where they won't walk towards the woods at night in the dark. They won't go to the woods. They won't walk down to the river. That's unique to childhood. But what about us today? When we talk about darkness, we talk about the shadows, and we talk about the things that we're afraid of. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about how Jesus breaks through that darkness. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Now, I have one of the Bibles I'm going to be using this morning, one of the Bibles that we have in the back. So if you have one of those that, that, that sort of look like this, that we have in the back, we ask you to take them with you. I'm going to be on page 898. Sometimes you've got to be that specific with the teenagers. But 898 and 899 is where we're going to focus our time this morning. As much as I am privileged to be here, you need to know how much God worked in me through this. It's amazing what God's word does in your life. When you really take time and quietness to get away with God. You know, in our lives, we apply filters to God's grace. We apply things in front of our lives and around us that as God's grace tries to come through, it blocks that little bit of knowledge. It blocks that wisdom that God is trying to give us. It changes what we see. It changes the light of the gospel and its impact on our life. And you hear the word gospel here a lot. Ryan, I know he's going to watch this. I know he's going to, going to give me a hard time about all the mistakes that I make and all that, and how I'm too much of a, a country boy to be up here doing something like this. And of course, he's from California, so I don't even know what he does. But I've told him, Ryan, you make me nervous. You see, I grew up in a conservative Christian home, I was in church nine months before I was born. Um, It just, that's the way life was. If the doors were open, we were there. Whatever party was going on, whatever fellowship was going on, whatever service was going on, New Year's Eve, we'd have watch night services, we'd have Christmas Eve services, we'd have Christmas services. We'd have services because we were having services. I mean, it was just, you were there. That's how you grew up. You, You grew up, you were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth events, youth Friday night, whatever it may be, you were always there. And I grew up in that environment with a lot of the, back then it was the principles of scripture, but it was really the rules and the guardrails that were put into our into my life. I graduated from an independent Baptist Christian high school right here in Riverview. And to be, be independent Baptist and, and to, to be in church as much, there was a sense of, Rebellion from the rules. For those of you who have teenagers in the student ministry, I apologize for what I'm about to say, but I like living life on the edge when it comes to the rules. It's always funny because growing up, you know, if you gave me a rule, I would follow that rule to the letter. But if I could find a way around it that wouldn't break the rule, that's where I was so funny, I can remember remember my first student ministry position. I was full-time at a church up in Pasco County. And the pastor came to me, he says, Edwin, he said, really like what you're doing with the student ministry. Got a few too many kids, but other than that, we're okay. But you're following what we've given you as direction in the letter of the law, but you're not really understanding the spirit of the law. And at that point, it was like, what rules are we putting on when it comes to God's Word? And now with Ryan being on site, and and, and we're talking, and, and we spent the last year together, really looking at from what has been ingrained in me since I was young, to where I am now in relation to how the gospel works in our lives, and the freedom and the love that God gives, it's a big divide. From where I once was to where I am now. And when you think about it, from where I am now to what heaven's going to be like, that's huge. So this morning, I want us to take a little time and to look at what that conservatism, the, the, the legalism, whatever it may be, the shadows sometimes that we put in our own lives to make the gospel make sense to us. For me, growing up, that's how God made sense. You became a Christian. You said a a specific prayer. It wasn't magic words, but this is what we were always taught. This is what you have to say. And you ask Jesus into your heart, and you're saved and sealed from that day on, but you still have to follow the rules. I grew up thinking that if I did something that God didn't like, if I sinned, that it was stupid so bad that God was going to punish me for that by doing something, taking away something that I wanted, or or changing circumstances or impacting our lives. There are adults today that think that their situation is at a point, and they're so down and distraught that God is punishing them. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. You know, Ryan's got a tattoo. I told him that I was going to sort of paint that on my arm. Because I'm too scared of needles to do a tattoo. You don't ever have to worry about me having a tattoo. But it is finished. The darkness, the shadows, the things that we have in our lives that surround us are things that take our focus away from Jesus. You know... We're all, whether you call it slipping, whether you call it falling, I grew up in church, they called it backsliding. Whatever it is, it's sin and not recognizing the lordship of Jesus in our life. I want to walk through that a little bit this morning. So in John chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 42. Um, The verses are going to be on the screen here behind me. I'm going to read through the whole passage that I want to cover this morning, and then we're going to come back and look and unpack a little bit What Jesus is saying here to us today. Beginning in verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, And what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the, the nearing the final interaction that Jesus has with the overall public. If you read through Scripture, you read through the Gospel of John, this is Jesus as he's entering Jerusalem, as he's getting ready for the crucifixion. And it says that even some of the leaders themselves believed but did not confess. Do you know that that fear in our own belief keeps us in the shadows? We have belief. We are not in darkness. We no longer walk in darkness. but that allows us to sort of stay at the edge. You know, as I talked about the rules earlier, you know, it's sort of living life on the edge. You don't want to be fully over here because then you're in the spotlight. You're in the light. You are called out. You're separate. And sometimes that gets uncomfortable for us. You know, Ryan talked last week about the things in our life that sort of take the place of god and that we don't apply the gospel in our lives a lot of us in our work life i know for me success driven i want to see progress i want to see forward momentum i want to see things getting better i want to drive i want to be able to impress those that i work with those that i work for to show that i add value and we get into that rhythm. And then all of a sudden, that becomes part of our lives. We want to see that step. I think that's why for a lot of when I was growing up, it, it, it drove us to say, okay, it was um, walk an aisle, go to the front, say the prayer, be baptized, get in a Sunday school class, start reading your Bible, go through a discipleship program. It was all these steps, these things to do, this checklist that we had to do to please God. It never was about we please God because of our relationship in Jesus. When God looks at us, He sees Jesus and knows that we're forgiven, and the love that He had that sent Christ to save us is the same love He looks at us at now. For those of you with children, Think of a time when you've had to discipline your children, but you really wanted to laugh at some of the things they had done. You know, you think, okay, <laughs> you really shouldn't have done that. It was funny, but you shouldn't have done it. Sometimes I think that's what God looks at us and goes, you only knew the craziness that you're doing. That's the love that God gives us. So as we drive, as we try that checklist, as we move through, it becomes easy for us to put God in that little box that says, okay, if I do this, then I'm loved. And so this is what I have to show to show everyone else that I'm loved. This is the shadow of a checklist that I have to stand under because I don't really believe that God said it is finished. Because I don't really believe that I am a child of God and I have access to, free and clear to the creator of the universe that there is something about my belief that is flawed that I have to continuously work on, that there's something I always have to repair, that I have to do this. Have you heard how many times I've used I in the last 30 seconds? And that's not what the Bible says. The gospel is dangerous. The love that Jesus shows us is dangerous as it breaks through. Our belief, our commitment to love like Jesus loves is dangerous. Jesus goes on and he's talking and he's saying, look. If you go back and look in verse... Forty-four. Jesus said and cried out. He cried out. So he wanted to make sure it was a loud voice. He wanted to make sure that it was heard. He cries out and says, Look, whoever believes in me believes not in me but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Have you noticed... That if you stay focused on the light, and by the way, I'm telling you, spotlights up here. But if you stay focused on the light, you never see the shadows. If you're always in the light, you don't see the shadow. You're focused there. Jesus said, look. Look around you. The result of creation and the fall of man And how sin entered the world is the trouble that you have. These leaders believed in Jesus, but would not confess Him because they were afraid of what others would think. Jesus follows that up with, I'm light, I'll break through. And then we look, and Jesus says, Those who hear my words... This is in verse 47. And does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What do we really believe about the gospel? Where do we draw the line? Where do we choose to put those borders, those boundaries on the love that God has for us. Where's the box that we put him in? What we believe about the gospel can keep us in the shadows. It can keep us out of the light of who Jesus is. There's so many times that we, we think and, and, and I think. And, and honestly, I go back to, to, the, to the things that, that, I, that I've been taught. And, and now, honestly, I'm almost 50 years old and I'm just learning what that love of Jesus covers and how it impacts me. And I've got to tell you, for those of you who have students in the student ministry, those students are going to be radically changed by the love of God. I know the lives of students and what God has done in their lives, but the realization of what the gospel truly is and the freedom that that offers, to be a risk taker, to understand that God who created the universe and sent his son to die for us because he loves us, it's amazing. If you grasp the fact that in John chapter 3 Jesus starts with a story that Nicodemus would know. He says, "Look, as Moses lifted up the serpent, serpent, sorry, the serpent on the stake so that the people would look at it and be saved. They would live if they just simply had enough faith to say, God said, look, and I looked and I was healed." That story says look the son of man has to be lifted up and he goes on to say the most famous verse that we see in stadiums and we know from a kid that we see the John 316 and follows that up with no condemnation he does not come to condemn the world how do you limit the gospel when you understand the overflowing love that God has. And then as we sort of dance in and out of the light, you know, when, when things come along in our life and it shakes us to the core, we have a teenager that chooses their own way and not God's way. We have a family member, a husband, a wife who does not understand our relationship with Jesus and chooses to not understand and stay away from that and keep that part of the relationship separate. I can remember growing up every Sunday morning going to church with my mom and my dad would stay home or be out fishing or something like that. And he would never let me stay home or never let me go fishing because I needed to go to church with my mom. But it was not something that he did. I can remember that. That that part of of their marriage, of their life was separate. And to know now that to come out of the shadow of that separation, out of the shadow of what we do, that the gospel is about eternal life. You know, worship this morning was incredible. Some of you may know from being involved in other churches, I know growing up in churches, how much God has blessed the chapel with those that lead us into God's throne room every morning. They are worshipers with us. But they have been given the, the, the task, the responsibility, the blessing of being the first ones into God's throne room and to usher us into his very presence. And this morning was incredible. But I know some, even some that have been in this church, that that's just a big pep rally. You just have a big pep rally, everything's fine. Hear a little bit of Bible and go home. I remember pep rallies when I was in school. You knew you were going to get creamed by the other team. It didn't matter. You knew you were just going to get wiped up. But there was a pep rally where everybody wanted to encourage the excitement. It's like, yay, I'm going to get beat down tonight. (laughs) Friday afternoon pep rally. Great. We get out of class a little bit early. That's the only bonus because we're going to get crushed. I mean, it was real. It's like, I remember... (laughs) <laughs> Never mind. Just, when you get beat by 70 points playing basketball, it's just there's no, there's no coming back from that. No matter how many pep rallies you have. But if this is a pep rally, can you imagine what heaven's going to be like for eternity? I mean, no offense to these musicians up here, but God's got some rockers up there, okay? It was so funny. As a teenager in our church, it was a little bit older in demographic. And back in that day I would talk about Petra leading worship in heaven or the young audio adrenaline leading worship in heaven that just rock out and the if we would experience the fact that that same God that is going to throw a party in heaven for us the bible talks about the marriage supper of the lamb Do your study on that. I don't think it says it in Scripture, but I guarantee you there's going to be pork chops, collard greens, green beans, cornbread, biscuits and gravy. I guarantee you that that's what's going to happen. And I'm telling you, we have this party. We we, we get in here, call it a pep rally, whatever it is, but it's the excitement of who Jesus is and what God is doing in our lives and how He can change everything about who we are and what we do and how He breaks through That he is light, that he breaks through, and yet we walk out and want to put him in a box. We get up every morning, we go to work, we struggle with the the calls, the emails, the interactions. The people that don't understand. And we keep God in this box. And we never open it up to bring to bear the gospel in what we're doing right now. The people that we talk with on the phone. The people that we interact with face to face. Do you believe that they notice? This is what I ask the students. This is on a Wednesday night. I say, on tomorrow morning, when you go to school, will your friends that you hang out with, for adults, the people that you work with on a daily basis that you say hi to, that are involved in what you do, will they know by just looking at you, looking at your face, that you have been with Jesus? will they know by your attitudes, your actions, your behavior, that you're learning more and more about the gospel, to be with Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, look. Here, I'm going to just read it to you. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Growing up, I used to think about salvation being a point-in-time experience. I was saved in June of 1976. It's funny when I tell that to teenagers because they're not even sure what 1976 is. It's a bicentennial year. Hey! I know that in Vacation Bible School, which by the way, I'm going to give a free plug to the children's ministry right now, children will learn more about Jesus and be impacted more with the gospel in, in that week of Vacation Bible School than in a whole year in the back. It is, it, it, is, it is statistically proven, it is research proven that Vacation Bible School and the involvement that you as adults invest in those children's lives have an eternal impact. So if there is any way, in any possible way, that you even think about thinking about volunteering, volunteer, impact children, I'm telling you, it makes a difference. I found Jesus in Vacation Bible School. I grew up in church. But it was only then that God just said, hey, it's time. But I can remember salvation being that point in time. The Bible says that you continue to work out your salvation, that you continue to grow, that you continue to learn what it's like to walk with Jesus. Here's the dangerous part. Salvation is a continuous walk. It is learning about the Lordship of Jesus. We want to be our own God. That's our sin nature. We want to do things our way. It's comfortable to have God in a box. Take him out and put him on on Sunday morning. Take him out when things get rough. Take him out when we think, oh, I haven't read my Bible in like a month and a half. Maybe I'll sign up to one of those daily devotionals that gives me scripture man every day and then move that to the deleted file every day because I don't have time to read it. It's comfortable to do that. I hope that as we come into worship every Sunday, as we spend time with God every day, that we never think about it being comfortable. That we think about coming in front of a holy God that has everything in control and wondering what in the world is he going to do to my life if I walk with him today. What's going to happen? How is he going to break through? This morning, that's what the gospel's about. That's what Jesus says. Jesus said, look, I'm telling you what I've been told to say. The Father has said eternal life is the focus. God sent Jesus because of his broken heart that we would not have a relationship with him, that we would choose to do our own thing. And he sent Christ to die on the cross to shed his blood, to say, it is finished, it is done. The debt is paid. There's no magic words, there's no special prayer, there's no anointing of oil, there's no car-side bright-light experience. It is acknowledgement of who Jesus is and his lordship and saying, I believe. And then not allowing that belief to put God in a box to allow Jesus to break through, to allow Jesus and the gospel to change our lives in such a way that no matter who we run into, the cashier at Publix, the young lady in the drive-thru at Fishhawk Bagels, the young lady in the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts, and you can see a pattern here that I'm talking about, the server at the restaurant that you eat at, the person that sits in the cube beside of you, the person in the office next door, Your boss, that you maybe get a chance to meet with once every six weeks, whatever it is, do they see the gospel impacting your life? Can they look at you now and have known you for six months and say that from six months ago to now, you're different? That God has impacted a change in your life? It's about that relationship. Are you ready for that? That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to, are you ready for what God can do? Are you really ready for it? Are you willing to let it happen? It can get scary. From my own life, I can remember being at a point where I knew what God was asking me to do. And I would fight it, and I would fight it, and no, I'm not going to do it. And this went on for probably a couple of months. And finally, God said, okay, here you go. Have you ever had that feeling of two hands being put in the middle of your back and being pushed? Usually as a kid, you just, you want to get up, but off a cliff. And God saying, you won't move, I'm going to move you. It is much easier to walk with God off that edge than it is to have him push you and let you fall for a while before he safely and securely catches you in his hands and sets you up right where you would have walked without the push. Are you ready for what the gospel can do in your life? Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Are you ready this morning to allow God to do what only God can do in your world, in your life, in your Sunday afternoon? Are you ready to take that challenge? This morning there's no Like I said, no magic words. Although that's so out of context for the way I grew up. But the Bible says in Romans that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that that's our expression to Jesus that says, you're in control. We raise our hands in worship not only to offer praise, but as a sign of surrender to God. Is that where you are this morning? You may have been a Christian. You may have followed Christ all your life. I was saved at nine years. Holy mackerel. Nine years old. Think about it. In June of this year, I'll I'll celebrate my 40th Christian birthday. Can you imagine what that's gonna be like in heaven? Ryan talks about, I can't even fathom a one millionth birthday. But are you ready to face today and know what Jesus has got for you today? And then to wake up tomorrow with the radical idea that God is totally in control? And be scared out of your mind, not knowing what God's going to do, but knowing that he loves you. And you can count on that. This morning I'm going to do something a little bit different. This is where Ryan and I sort of go go different ways on things. But this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be a little bit different. I'm the youth guy. I always do things different. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord of your life and you have made that decision for Him, I want you to, with me, just simply say the words, Jesus is Lord. Together, You have made that decision to simply say, Jesus is Lord. Do you realize how freeing that is? No matter what pain, what sickness, what family heartache, the things that crush you at night that you cry yourself to sleep over, your marriage, your children, your children's marriage, your grandchildren, job, Jesus is Lord. Some say it's ignorance, it's it's blind ignorance to trust Jesus to handle the day-to-day, and that's all he wants to do is handle your day-to-day. He wants to be in your life. you're here this morning and you couldn't say that couldn't say Jesus is Lord of my life and this is the morning to 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 evaluate the radical love that God offers I invite you to talk to myself to Jared to any of my student ministry staff to any of the leaders here at the chapel about what it means to become a Christian and say Jesus is Lord